Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and today we've got three stories we want to talk about. A couple of them are a little heavier than usual, so I'm going to start off with one of those. But uh, the first one I wanted to go into was um, a former Naughty Dog employee is claiming he was sexually harassed by, uh, and then subsequently fired for not accepting uh, essentially what he called hush money. So, uh, you have to be living under a rock if you haven't heard over the last week or two the story of Harvey Weinstein. He's a big Hollywood executive who basically is a scumbag, and he has been harassing and assaulting women apparently for decades. Uh, Very, very awful stuff uh, coming to light to a lot of people who had no idea such a thing. So, but a lot of that basically drove, there was a huge thing on Twitter about it where, where victims were starting to come forward. And so a lot of people were coming out and saying, he did this, he did that. Uh, I'm a victim too. I'm a victim too. This guy also did this. And like all these videos are starting to surface of like, oh, Ben Affleck grabbed a woman's breast uh, during a MTV summer thing 20 years ago or something, you know? And so all these videos are starting to come out though. And all these things are starting to, you know, one, one one break of the link of the chain of normalcy and everything starts to kind of flood through, uh, which is a good thing. We need to be made aware of these kind of problems. Um, so interestingly, though, this also sort of leaked over into video games then. So this uh, this guy's name is David Ballard. He was an, invent- uh, an environmental artist and a multiplayer level artist on Uncharted 2, 3, and 4 and on The Last of Us. So he worked at Naughty Dog for a very long time. Uh, and so he recently came out, uh, of course, onto Twitter, but he came out with this, uh, in his own words, this is what he said, quote, in late 2015, I was sexually harassed at Naughty Dog by a lead. My work environment became extremely toxic afterward. In February of 2016, I had a mental breakdown at work and Sony PlayStation HR became involved. When I told them about the harassment, they ended the call and fired me the next day. They cited the company was moving in a different direction and my job was no longer needed. They tried to silence me by offering $20,000 if I signed a letter agreeing to the termination as well as to not discuss it with anyone. I declined to sign. I have been unemployed for 17 months since. When interviewers ask why I left Naughty Dog, I say I was burned out by the crunch, ashamed to get to the root of the problem of being sexually harassed. I'm speaking out now because of the strength I've seen in others coming forward about their experiences in the TV and film industry. This is the hardest thing I've done. I will not let anyone kill my drive or love for the video game industry, my passions, or life end quote. So uh, that was uh, David's statement saying that he was harassed in, uh, he was sexually harassed at Naughty Dog. Then when he took it, uh, apparently after having a mental breakdown, he took, he also mentioned what this sounds like to me is here's what happened. So he was harassed and then his environment because of that harassment became very toxic. That led uh, him to become very stressed out and he had what he calls a mental breakdown. After that mental breakdown, when HR got involved, probably because he had some sort of breakdown at work, when they got involved, he must have then told them about the harassment thing. And once he told them about it, he claims once they knew about it, that he was fired instantly the next day. Um, A lot of this doesn't make sense to me. And I'll be the first one to say you can't victim blame here. But what I'm going to say here is what I'm going to say during a lot of stories is that we need to know all the facts before we start uh, reaching uh, for conclusions. So we don't know all the facts, but we can certainly we can certainly um, talk about it and 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 explain certain things. But here's a couple things that seem off to me. And here I just want to explain some of my um, understanding of corporate HR and how things like that work. 
one of the first things you have to understand is that an HR company, an HR division of a company is not there to look out for its employees. The HR company is there to look out for the company's best interest and to protect the company from human relations issues. However, that usually does include preventing things like sexual harassment. The idea of HR is to prevent loss through human relations. So for instance, if one employee is harassing another employee and the company doesn't do anything about it, the person who got harassed doesn't sue the harasser, they sue the company for having an unsafe work environment, company loses money. So the company is here to stand up and stop that sort of thing. So the way I look at it is HR, it's not that they're not your friend, you just have to understand what their motivations are. Their motivations are to protect the company. So if they view you as a threat to the company, they're going to take you out and they're going to they're going to get rid of you because you are the problem. They, they, they do like a, a plus and minuses on potential loss. It's all it's all a, a a balance board, a balance sheet for profits and loss. Right. So you've got, well, this guy's costing us twenty thousand dollars in loss. But if he stays and has another mental breakdown and these people leave, that'll cost us $40,000 in loss. Like it's all figured out that way. There's not a lot of emotion when it comes to businesses like this. It's it's all profit loss margin statement sheets. That's all it is. And so now obviously uh, Sony stepped in, their HR department uh, stepped in and had to deal with this situation. Now, again, I, I want to wait till I have more before I have more facts about everything but it sounds like he didn't mention the harassment until he had his mental breakdown. And if that's the case, the HR person may have thought, oh, well, are you just saying this just to say it? Because maybe he got in trouble for his mental breakdown. We don't know what his mental breakdown was. And so if his mental breakdown was something serious, what happened if he came in and he went over to an employee's desk and threw it on the floor? I mean, you don't you don't know. I mean, we don't know what happened. And so there could be a lot going on here. However, like I said, the one thing you don't want to do is victim blame because you don't want people to feel like they can't come forward when something like this legitimately happens. Now, to be fair, on the flip side of that, I think something like this opens up the opportunity for other people to take advantage. Someone might say, you know, oh, I was also harassed by somebody and maybe maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but it opens up the floodgates and a lot of people, people who are dishonest might come forward and say that. And that's why, unfortunately, there's all this you know, why it's so cryptic and why everything is so lacking in detail is because people, people are starting to assume that people, that other people aren't being honest about it. And that, that is the worst because that's the worst for the people that are real victims that had real problems. Now I understand that. And it's the same thing with the TV and film industry. People have been saying, well, how come you didn't come forward earlier or how come, you know, why, why are people coming forward now after it happened 20 years ago? And it's mostly because they felt trapped because if you're in the film industry and you talk bad and you're, you're starting out and you talk badly about a, a high ranking film executive, you're probably not going to get cast in very many movies. And Hollywood's already very, very difficult to break into as an industry, the TV and film industry. <clears throat> so if you, if you have that, you have to, you have to understand their position. They were worried about their position. Now I would argue that the game industry is not nearly as tough to break into as the film industry. And I feel like if you had went to Sony HR and you and you had mentioned this, that 
and if they blacklisted you, you know, which would be an attempt for them to try to say, we're not going to hire you anymore. We're not going to, we're going to tell everybody not to hire you. Well, first of all, they can't do that. That's illegal. But if, if they somehow did, I can't believe that every company out there would, would be okay with that. Sony doesn't have power over Ubisoft, Activision, EA, Microsoft. They don't have power over that. However, again, that doesn't mean that David didn't feel that way. And so if he felt that way and he felt like he was, you know, he, he felt like his only option was to, to shut up and put up with it, then that's awful because you should never be, you should never be forced to feel that way. So I want to see more about that. Like I want, I want to hear more about this. Now he was an environmental artist and multiplayer level artist on Uncharted 2, 3, 4 and Last of Us. That's a hell of a resume. Now he does note that he hasn't had a job in the industry for 17 months. I, I don't really, I don't see how if you worked on those four games, Unless you start, unless you weren't telling people because of your past that you worked there. But if that, if you were telling people that you were an environmental artist and a multiplayer level designer on Charted 2, 3, and 4 and Last of Us, there's tons of indie teams that would want you on. There's so many startups and everything right now. Like, there's a lot of jobs out there. Again, we don't know. Maybe the mental breakdown caused him to um, have anxiety and he can't go on interviews. I don't know. You know, and, and again, we're not going to speculate on here, but this is the sort of thing that is a problem obviously and this was a and here's an also interesting side note to this that this is a man and a man said he was sexually harassed by a lead and we don't know which lead uh we don't know who the person was harassing we don't know if it was a male or female but it's another angle to this that a lot of people don't like to believe that men can be harassed or assaulted sexually as well and and so there's a lot of moving parts of this i want to know more about the story before i start jumping in i don't necessarily think that it didn't happen, but I, I want to know more. I need more details than just one person coming out on Twitter with a story. And then, you know, because he's, he's putting himself out there now. Like this, this is, this isn't helping him at all because if he goes out there and now say now someone from Ubisoft does see it and goes, Oh my gosh, this guy just put his whole story on Twitter. We don't want to deal with this sort of drama at the office. He may not get a job now because he spoke up. So sometimes you have to look at who benefits from these things. And if he's not benefiting from coming out on Twitter and saying this, then that shows that it's a little more truthful than not now uh naughty dog did respond and uh they offered a statement uh just a couple days ago quote we have recently read on social media that an ex-employee of naughty dog dave ballard claims he was sexually harassed when he worked at naughty dog we have not found any evidence of having received allegations from mr ballard that he was harassed in any way at naughty dog or sony interactive entertainment harassment and inappropriate conduct have no place at naughty dog and sony interactive entertainment we have taken and always will take reports of sexual harassment and other workplace grievances very seriously we value every single person who works at naughty dog and sony interactive entertainment it is of the utmost importance to us that we maintain a safe, productive workplace environment that allows us all to channel our shared passion for making games, end quote. So, you know, that's that's pretty cut and dry. That's just saying that, well, we didn't hear anything about it. And if we knew anything about it, we wouldn't have had it happen, yada, yada. Uh, getting back to the $20,000 settlement thing, that could have been a severance package that they offered basically because he was you know, he felt like, again, numbers, right? They said, well, he could maybe sue us over the sexual harassment. Let's offer him a severance package if he wants to leave on his own, and then we'll be fine. So that's possible. That's why they offered it. Is it, it was it hush money? I really have a hard time believing that, especially because David stated that it was a piece of paper saying that he was going to be offered this amount of money. A company, if it's operating in a way like that, it typically won't do things like that. Because again, HR is meant to protect the company. You, I mean, that's a sloppy mistake, which is certainly possible that an HR person could make a sloppy mistake like that. But it, you know, we need to have more details before we start 
you know, really jumping to conclusions on this one. And lastly, a lot of people now have been saying, I want to boycott, boycott Naughty Dog and Sony. And I think that's pretty ridiculous when you look at studios that have hundreds of employees, companies that have thousands of employees. And if you have one incident, I think you'd be very surprised if you looked at every company that had that, that it's made a game ever probably has had some sort of settlement or sexual harassment issue. I mean, they sell insurance for this kind of thing. That's how common it is for this sort of thing to happen. That's why you have even any company working, not even in, in, in video games, you have HR meetings and you have sexual harassment seminars and you have sensitivity training and all this sort of thing exists because not because they're trying to make the people not harass people, but because once they say they've done that, they're removing all responsibility from themselves as for being guilty for why it happened. And, and of course, negligence is, is an excuse. So is not an excuse. So if they say, well, we didn't know it was happening, you can't say that. So they have to, um, you know, so Night Dog will have to come up with something better. Again, we'll be following the story pretty closely. I hope to hear more about it, but this was one of those, you know, it's interesting how, how they can bleed over. So the movie and TV film got turned upside down this past week. And if you look on Twitter, there's this hashtag me too hashtag popping up, which is, is about, you know, women who feel they were harassed or assaulted throughout their lives and have never spoken up about it. And it's, it's incredible the amount of people that are participating in that. And so now it's leaking over into video games as well. And so now you've got people in the video game industry stepping out and speaking up, which is, which I find kind of interesting as well, because I don't think I've noticed not a lot of people as representatives of video games are coming out and saying it. A lot of a lot of women on Twitter are coming out and saying it personally. But like you don't see, you know, people like like ex Naughty Dog like Amy Hennig, you don't hear her coming out and saying I was harassed at Naughty Dog. You just hear me too. I've I've noticed this in my life as a female is is what they're saying. So you know, I haven't really heard any stories of of women specifically calling out other developers that they worked for in the video game industry like like they were calling out movie and film producers and such. So really strange, but, you know, one spark kind of ignites this whole thing, and we'll kind of see where this goes. I'm very curious, but for now, you know, boycotting a company's product that thousands of people work really hard on is silly. Now, if it comes out that Naughty Dog's management tried to sweep this under the rug and they really treated this person poorly, then I can see that. I can see a boycott in the sense of, you know what, I don't want to, play games from a company that's run by people like that and then you know what you'll see you'll see those people in leadership when things like that happen they will get removed because again the profit and loss spreadsheet is showing that that person is costing them profit and isn't worth the price that they're charging and just another way of looking at it but that's how you have to look at businesses they carry everything as a plus and minus ratio to money winning money in money out it's really that simple and uh, so anyway, moving on from that one into, unfortunately, kind of another serious one. We got some really some really heavy subjects today. But uh, over the last few, this has been a few months, but now the stories are kind of starting to hit the blogs a little bit more. But I guess over the last few months, CD Projekt Red has been coming under, well, which we're going to refer to them as Red going forward because it's just so much easier to say. Uh, Red going forward, they have had uh, a lot of people coming out saying that it's not a great place to work and that morale is really low. And you never want to hear that. Like, you never want to hear the company. If you don't know, um, Red makes uh, the Witcher series, and they most recently are working on Cyberpunk 2077, which honestly looks like one of the most incredible games that's probably ever going to come out. I am so excited for it. 
uh, especially in this Blade Runner day and age and everything. But uh, I digress. So th all these reports were coming out and there's a website uh, called Glassdoor.com. So Glassdoor is a it's a review site for companies. So you can go on there and you can say, um, oh, I want to look up electronic arts and you can look and see what their out of five star rating they have, which electronic arts right now has a 3.9 out. So 3.9 stars out of five for how they've been rated by their own employees. So this is meant to be a site where the employees go on and you can go on anonymously or you can go on and state what your position is and you can rate the company and you can leave a review and you can talk about your your um, your salary and you can talk about that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's also like they have listings for all the different jobs that they're hiring for, all that sort of stuff. So Glassdoor on the surface sounds like a really awesome website because you're like, oh, well, this is this is pretty cool. This is something that, you, you know, if you want to know about a company, should I work there? Let's listen to what the people who work there are saying. And again, this kind of goes back to the previous story about about uh, Naughty Dog, because you can see kind of what like it, it's it's a it's a viewpoint behind and this is about morale and this is about you know people who work there and if they like their job and if there's issues like they were having with the sexual harassment issue recently so so glassdoor on, on the surface it sounds like a great idea no pun intended uh class it's it, a really cool idea however uh what i found out in my research for this article was that glassdoor doesn't have any sort of verification process. So anybody can go on there and say they worked there and then leave a review. So once you start to get this sort of negative twist, then people who may have read the article and said, oh yeah, I hate that company. And they could go on there and pretend to be uh, uh, an employee and then fudge an entire review. So that's obviously not good. And so anyway, let's get back to uh, CD Project Red. So Red uh, recently, over the last few months, have been getting a lot of dings on Glassdoor. They've been getting a lot of one, two, and three stars out of five. And so, like I said, it was kind of this thing that people were wondering and wondering. But now it's gotten to the point where the, it's talking and being brought up so often that they had to actually make a statement because they felt like they were that the words were being twisted. So here's what co-founders uh, Marcin Iwinski and Adam Badowski said on Twitter. They're the uh, co-founders of red and here's what they said on twitter about the staff morale situation quote we are continuously working on making red a good workplace for everyone but we also have a set of values that constitutes who we are and how we do things when we start down the road of creating something we know the destination and we're sure of one thing even if something feels impossible it doesn't mean it is. This approach to making games is not for everyone. It often requires a conscious effort to reinvent the wheel, even if you personally think it already works like a charm. But you know what? We believe reinventing the wheel every friggin' time is what makes a better game. End quote. So, yes, you look at that and you go, wow, okay, so what they're saying is we, we have a really difficult job. We work really hard. We have a high expectation of quality. And we have a high expectation of our employees, which may not be the same place for everyone. Now, some of the complaints, let's see here. Um, oh, actually, sorry. So there's uh, there's some more quote. Excuse me. Um, I want to get to this. So this is it in regards to Cyberpunk 2077, which is a work in progress, which looks to still be at least a year away. 
Quote, does a departure, even a high-profile one, mean that the product is in danger? One would need to be very courageous to base the future of a AAA role-playing game of such scope on one person. Or a few people. Cyberpunk 2077 is progressing as planned, but we are taking our time. In this case, silence is the cost of making a great game. End quote. Uh, so yes, um, and here, so they sent out an email, uh, Red sent out an email, and I want to read that here as well. If you're following news related to CD Projekt Red, you might have recently stumbled upon information regarding morale here at the studio. We'd normally avoid commenting on company reviews on spaces like Glassdoor, but this time around, especially in light of the fact that we haven't communicated anything about Cyberpunk 2077 for a long time and saw some gamers getting worried about the project, we'd like to elaborate on a few things. First off, we'd like to talk about the departures. In 2015, when we released The Witcher 3, we were over 200 developers strong, and that was the core crew of the studio. Since then, we've almost doubled the headcount, and we're still hiring. Do people leave? Sure they do. We always wish them all the best and respect both their decision and the feedback they give us as a reason for their departure. We are continuously working on making Red a good workplace for everyone, but we also have a set of values that constitutes who we are and how we do things. So does a departure, even a high-profile one, mean the project is in danger? One would need to be very courageous to base the future of a AAA role-playing game on such scope of one person or a few people. Every role-playing game we ever developed seemed impossible to achieve at the moment we set out to create it. It took us five years to finish The Witcher 1, we had to make our own engine to complete Witcher 2, and we had to entirely reinvent the way we made games to deliver an open world for The Witcher 3. When we sat down, or when we, excuse me, when we start down the road to creating something, we know the destination and we're sure of one thing. Even if something feels impossible, it doesn't mean it is. And as it turns out, most often things are perfectly possible. They just require a lot of faith, commitment, and spirit. This approach to making games is not for everyone. It often requires a conscious effort to reinvent the wheel, even if you personally think it already works like a charm. But you know what? We believe reinventing the wheel every friggin' time is what makes a better game. It what creates innovation and makes it possible for us to say we've worked really hard on something, and we think it's worth your hard-earned money. If you make games with a close-enough-is-good-enough attitude, you end up in a comfort zone, and you know where the magic happens. Cyberpunk 2077 is progressing as planned, but we are taking our time. In this case, silence is the cost of making a great game. As always, many thanks for being so engaged in what we do. It shows us it's all worth the hours we put in. End quote. So that was the full letter. I, sh I said some snippets of it earlier while I was reading through the article, but that was the full letter from Red. So my take on this is probably um, what it seems like and, and the things I've read and understood about this company. First of all, it's in Poland. And apparently compared to other AAA game developer studios in other countries, the pay is what you'd consider low. However, the cost of living and everything's a little bit lower there and taxes are a little bit different there. So when you factor in all these things, it's fine, but you might go from London making twice as much moving to Poland and making half. So that that's something that a lot of people would be turned off by. Like, oh man, I just uprooted my whole family. I moved to a different country and... I'm making half what I was making before. Now, again, it's it's relative to where you live, but that's one of the main complaints. So what it sounds like to me is they had some people leave, which burnout in this industry is an unbelievably real thing. We we talked about how, um, uh, what's his name, left uh, Blizzard, Morham left Blizzard uh, because he was just toast. Uh, Kaplan left originally and then came back but he was gone for a while he burned out the the two guys uh one of the guys from infinity ward uh originally uh i believe he like retired and now he makes beer in his basement or something like it's really weird but the burnout is incredible because triple a games are an unbelievable beast to tackle and the people at the heads of these studios trying to balance everything money staff 
quality control, all this sort of thing. Like that's got to be a difficult job. But part of the reason also is the what they call crunch. And if you don't know what crunch is, crunch is basically usually it used to be usually the last few months to half a year before a game released, you would go into crunch time, which means you're working ridiculous hours, sometimes six, seven days a week. Uh, sometimes 12, 14 hour days, if not 18 hour days, because you've got stuff you have to get done before the game comes out and you're now on a limited timeline. Typically by that point in the game's development, they've set a release date, a release date you do not want to miss. A lot of game design, if you don't know, is based on milestones. And if you don't know what that means, milestones are basically, you know, there, there are points in development that are created that if you hit those milestones, that's when you get paid. If you don't hit that milestone, you don't get paid. So imagine a company who's making a game for, say, Capcom, or making a game for Sony. They don't get paid if they don't get that game out on time. Or if they miss the beta test being available a year before the game comes out, they miss that, they don't get a bonus. and Or, or they may not get paid until it's done. And then you've got a studio that doesn't have money to pay its employees because they're waiting on the money for the game they're currently working on. So very, very interesting and difficult system to work with so crunch is very real um and crunch is and it works like this not just in game development it's anything anything really project related so whether it's it's web design whatever it is when you have a project that's due you have a crunch and a lot of companies the way they work uh ea has been accused of this in the past ea and activision have been accused of this in the past but they say that uh, a lot of ex-employees will say that their crunch never ends so they'll be working on a game They'll, they'll be in six months of crunch. They'll finally launch the game. It finally comes out. They're like, oh my God, I can finally breathe. And then someone from EA goes, okay, this other game we're working on is supposed to come out in three months. It's in trouble. We need you to get on that project and help get it finished. And then you get put from one crunch mode to the next crunch mode to the next crunch mode over and over and over again. So then there's like, there's no, there's no respite. There's no rest in it for you. And that's not good that that's how you get burned out. And you know, it's it's a creative industry. So obviously, your work will take you so far. But eventually, there comes a time when even an artist has to step back and be like, this isn't worth it. You musicians do that all the time, too. They'll they'll step out um, after, you know, after some time, because they're going on tour, and they're doing albums, and they're doing live, and they're doing signings, and they're doing and they have to record a new album. And it's like, Oh, my God, they they'd burn out. Uh, and then some artists just keep going and have no problem with it. It depends on the person. So burnout's a real thing. So what I really think happened here was I think a lot of the people, a few of the people at the top got burned out and they left. You know, crunch was a real thing. I think cyberpunk is their most, like, like they're always pushing the envelope. Like, like CD Red's games for a company that started off as a small studio, like they've reached unbelievable success. And, you know, that growing that fast is very difficult. And when you always feel like you have to innovate, Cyberpunk isn't even like another medieval game. So they have to redo everything. It's not like they're making Witcher 4 and they can reuse rocks and trees and goblins and, and all the other like monsters from the game. You can't reuse any of that stuff. It's all completely built from scratch. And, I mean, I assume it's using the same engine as Witcher 3 at least, but, you know, everything has to, has to come together. Now, the good thing about CD Red is that they don't have anybody down their throat about when to release the game they can release it whenever they want but every month if you have 400 employees you have to imagine your overhead is probably oh my god i i can't even they're probably looking at half a million dollars a month in costs so you're burning through cash if this game gets delayed a year you're burning through cash so it's it's very um yeah very very interesting kind of industry now does that make it right Nah, eh, not really but do i think that 
that Red is any worse than any other company? I do not. Because I feel like any AAA studio is going to have this problem. They hire tons of people. You know, it's just like when you work at a big corporation. You're just a number. You're not a name. You know, you're not anything special to them. It's just you are what you are. And um, so you have to understand that until you can work up through the ranks to get to a higher position, you're just always going to be kind of, you know, a, for lack of a better term, a pleb. Like you're just going to be a, a, a scrub at the bottom until you figure it out. Now, the people that left uh, that are leaving these bad reviews, unfortunately, we can't confirm if they actually worked there. So we don't know how much of this is true or not. Now, when you look at it, a lot of the reviews that were left seem well written. And I'd like to think if the internet brigade uh, brigade just showed up, there would be a whole bunch of misspellings and a whole bunch of like really stupid ones. But there seem to be some legitimate ones. So I'm going to look. So first of all, CD Red has a overall rating of 3.3 stars out of five. So I went to the most recent reviews. Um, and I'm just going to go through the titles. So the first one is a five-star review says, My Place on Earth. Um now, one of the cons is always you have to learn to adopt if priorities are changing and it's not a walk in the park. Like every single person who posts here, even positive ones, are saying it's a tough place to work because of the high expectations. It depends who you are. Me, me I want to work for a place like that. You know, I, I have high expectations of myself and I want to work somewhere where they hold me to those high expectations. Uh, but anyway, so moving on, you know, the next one, this was from October 8th. There's another five star, October 7th, another five star. Um, it's like beating a game on hard. It challenges you, but there's a ton of satisfaction involved. So that's another person who says that it's really difficult, but they liked it because uh, they like the outcome. Uh, this one's a three star to five. Then there's a five star. Then there's a two star. Good stepping stone for your career if you're starting out. Bad for your mental health otherwise. So they're talking about the crunch and the work environment, how hard it is to work there and everything. Um, October 3rd, five star, out of the box thinking. Uh, September 30th, a two star review. A studio without a direction. Uh, I don't, I don't get that. I, I don't, I don't get anything from there. Um, September 29th, five star, no compromises. That as in a good thing. September 28th, one star, simply titled chaos. A full-time employee, current employee, says that it's chaos working there, um, and so on and so forth. So there's a whole bunch of these. And they just go on, but there aren't. There's more seemingly positive than negative, but like this one's a three-star review that says great projects, worse conditions, talking about how they love working on the projects, but the work environment's tough. Um, but then this one is a four-star review. It says the best game development company in Central Europe. So, and then this one, it was a one-star. It was a waste of time and energy. So overall, CD Projekt Red has 49 reviews at a 3.3 out of five stars. So what I did was I looked up a couple other companies, like the big, the other big three that you'd look at. So first up is Electronic Arts. I mentioned them earlier. They have a 3.9 out of five with, let's see, this doesn't say how many, um, how many ratings there are. Oh, uh, 502 ratings. No, never mind. That's the CEO. But the CEO has a 96% approval rating, so that's interesting. Um, Activision has a 3.8 star out of 5. And lastly, Ubisoft has a 3.9 out of 5. So no company out of the big these big ones is above 4. Now, again, do we know if these are legit? We don't, sadly. But this is this is an interesting kind of view into the other side of the industry. We love the games. We love playing the games. But now we're getting to the, hmm, side of it. Like, 
is this real? Is it not? We don't know. This this is what I love. I love pulling the curtain back and looking behind and saying, this is what it's like to make games. Like it's still a business. It's still a company. You know, it's not just like the, the one passionate person you see on stage at E3. Like it's a business and it's it's difficult. And that's why so many people don't do it. But, uh, you know, so those are kind of the big three. They all had the same sort of situations. So is, is red any worse? It doesn't really seem so. A 3.3 compared to a 3.8. I mean, it's not like they've got a 2 out of 5 and everyone else has a 5 out of 5. It's it's very hit or miss on the other big ones. So um, actually, you know what I'll do really quick? Let me look up Naughty Dogs uh, on Glassdoor because I'm very curious about this one. Um, Naughty Dog reviews. So Naughty Dog has a 4.4 out of 5 star. They're out of 42 reviews. They're one of the highest rated on Glassdoor for video game reviewers. So just an interesting take when you look at that, as our other story was talking about with Naughty Dog having the issue with sexual harassment. So, uh, yeah. So, again, this is just kind of a fun way to look at the other side of the business. I would not worry about Cyberpunk. I think the project's going to be fine. I think CD Red is going is growing very quickly, but they seem to have the two people who started the company are still at the top. They're still in charge, and they're still going to make the studio great. I don't have any... I don't have any issues with the company. I think they'll be fine. But burnout's a real thing. And burnout at all companies is a real thing. Uh, even my own store, I opened up Game Trade, and I was the only one who worked there by myself. And I was working six days a week, and I was working 12-hour days. And I got to a point after about a year and a half or two years, I was like, you know, I can't keep doing this. I said, because, you know, and I didn't think I had enough money to hire an employee. So I said, well, if I hire an employee, what happens if I run out of money? I have to close down the store. But then I thought to myself, but what happens if I don't hire an employee and I get burned out? I'm going to close down the store anyway. So I might as well just hire somebody to run it, you know, to help me run it, which I did. And then ended up actually being open seven days a week. And that being open one day made it, uh, um, it made up for him working so we were open to be seven days a week we made enough money for him to be an employee there and it was great so it was awesome um things have changed immensely since then now i have two full-time staff besides myself and a part-time staff member and you know but in the beginning like burnout's a real thing and it can affect you mentally and that might even have been what happened in the previous story with uh at naughty dog with david like maybe maybe he was getting burned out and then obviously the harassment on top of it that he felt like he had uh, was a part of but uh, yeah, so a lot of stuff going on. But anyway, uh, CD CD Project Red is, a, I think, a good company. But I do agree with the fact that they're in they're in they're in a spot that's not known for game development. They're in a, a different country. They're they're not really in the most prolific cities, so they don't get this high profile sort of, uh, you know, like they're not in a New York City. They're not in L.A. They're not in, you know, Austin, Texas. They're not in all these like known for game development places, but. I don't I wouldn't worry about it at all. I don't think it's really an issue. I think it's more of people having a hard time dealing with a high expectation. And if those high expectations deliver us a better product, even at the expense of your employees, you will find employees who want to work that way. Although I would like to see them address this in a way where they say, "Hey, let's at least try to do something for our employees. Let's let's do more company outings. Let's do something like let's 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 pay them a little bit more like they have money. They're not some small indie developer anymore. They are an indie developer, but they're not small anymore. They're worth like 2 billion or something now. So it is, it is time for them to step up and say like, we have to take care of our people because you can't maintain what they're doing now. It gets you by for a little while. Like you, you can, you can run like that and you can burn people out like that for a little while, but then eventually you start running out of people. And when you run out of good people, you run out of good ideas. And when you run out of good ideas, you run out of good games. And then when you don't have any good games, you don't get any money. And that's really how it works. 
And then lastly, my last story I want to talk about today is, is a little bit lighter one, albeit a tad more frustrating and annoying to me. But uh, recently, um, one of the producers of the new Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild game, which is one of my favorite games of the year, if not my favorite, it was an incredible game. Uh, his name is Ij Onoma. Aonuma? Aonuma? I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I'm not very good at pronouncing Japanese last names. And he recently spoke with, um, uh, where was it here? Ah, it doesn't matter. Okay, so he was speaking with somebody. And he, according to him, the team that created Zelda Breath of the Wild isn't even sure where, lore-wise, the latest entry fits in. Speaking to, oh, Jacques' video, he states... Actually, those timeline-related questions are difficult because we've never designed any Zelda games by saying, hey, we're going to put that game here. We need to have it fit into this period or that one, etc. That's not what comes first for us. But indeed, once the game is released and we've been able to develop our story, we can tell each other, oh yes, we can make it fit there. <laughs> but that's not important to us, especially since there could be contradictions in every new game if we tried to follow the timeline. If we can put a game in the timeline, that's great. But as for Breath of the Wild, we haven't really decided where it belongs for now. End quote. Um, so this is really stupid to me uh, because he, I have a lot of problems with this um, and, and a little bit of positivity, but mostly negativity when it comes to this. So what this producer is saying is that they don't, when they start a Zelda game, they don't start by writing the story to fit into the timeline. They just make a good Zelda game, and then they say, well, based on the stuff we're doing, we could probably say it fits here. And that, to me, is really annoying. For a game that's been around this long, for a game that's been around for 30 years, you could have the most incredible story and universe linked together that you've built, but they never designed the games that way. They always designed the games as one-off pieces, with the exception of the first two. The first two were back-to-back Legend of Zelda games. And then after that, they started basically, it was almost like every entry was a reboot after that. And I guess that's fine because every every game was its own game, but every game is, oh, I'm starting off as this person and I have to learn, I have to get the Master Sword, I have to get the key, uh, you know, I have to get the items, I have to defeat Ganon. And it was just a different version of Ganon and a different version. So later they came out with that god-awful Legend of Zelda timeline, which was trying to explain how all the Zelda games fit together. And there was like, oh, well, this t these games fit in the timeline if in Ocarina of Time this happens. But if this happens instead, then there's a whole other timeline of games that happens. So it's not even one cohesive universe. It's all pigeonholed together. And, and I was really frustrated by that because one of my favorite game series of all time is Metal Gear, as you probably know, as I've said on here many times. But Metal Gear designed a story 25 to 30 years ago and designed like Kojima. And I know it was really one person working on them all, but he designed a story that would be cohesive and that he could build upon. He built a universe. And now, yes, did he have to do retcons and a whole bunch of other stuff to make certain things fit? Of course, because when you start off, you're not thinking 30 years in the future when you make your first, like one of your first major important games, you're not thinking 30 years out on how the story's all going to fit together. And later you come up with an idea that says, man, I really wish I could do this. All I have to do to do this is change something that already happened. And then you adjust it in the timeline. And the Legend of Zelda could have been like that. Like the Legend of Zelda could have been this incredible universe where you're always the hero of time or the hero of light or whatever. And, and you're always the hero, but maybe there's an entity that's cohesive throughout all the games that's essentially carrying you or you've always got like a guiding light or there's always something like you know and 
they, they were so close, you know, and they could have done it, but that's not how they decided to design the games, even though they did the first two like that. The first two are back-to-back sequels. So, you know, even even um, Ocarina and Majora, I don't think, are back-to-back sequels. And they came out back-to-back, you know what I mean? So it's almost like they were taking the Final Fantasy route, where Final Fantasy was like every game is a one-off piece. And I guess you could make that argument there as well, except the difference is every Final Fantasy game came out with a unique set of characters and a unique story that was like basically each one was its own unique story. I would argue that Legend of Zelda is essentially the same story every time. So you're basically just remaking the game with some different gameplay elements, but really the same idea and story and everything you know and so it's really disappointing but it's interesting to hear a producer just actually say what we've always thought for years which is to come right out and say we don't even think about a timeline we don't act like the story matters we just make a game all by itself and then if it fits we can try to explain where it fits in a timeline and and we're all like i guess we always thought that was true but maybe some part of us was just hoping that there was some mystery document that somebody had in some back office at Nintendo where it was like, okay, this is the Zelda Bible, and they open it up, and this is all the the rules for Zelda to be successful. Um, but it's not the case. It's it's not. It sucks. It's uh, uh and and the fact that uh, you know, they don't even care if it fits into the timeline. You know, it shows um their design philosophy. Now the plus side of that is they're not weighted down by any sort of expectations or restrictions so when they make a zelda game they just go out to make a zelda game and they don't have to go okay well story-wise it has to fit between majora's mask and wind waker so uh this link has to look like this but he has to have a boat but then he can't do this but he can do this so when you start a game and you have to fit in those timelines you're already given a set of restrictions legend of zelda apparently doesn't have that they just get to make any games they want but i would argue that a lot of legend of zelda games and i know I, mean, I probably get flack for this but i feel like a lot of like the wii version the wii and gamecube legend of zeldas were like they were and this maybe even the 64 when i know a lot of people came up on the 64 and like you know pray to the god that is ocarina of time but like those games felt stale to me in story and like in creativeness even in the gameplay like the idea of temples and everything was the first, you know, we're in the first two Zelda games, but Zelda Link to the Past was really the one that kind of like ramped it up and added all these special items you'd use, like the hook shot and the boomerang. And then all the other games just kind of copy that formula, but they moved it to 3D for Ocarina of Time. Okay, I guess that's fine. And then after that, though, then you've just got a nicer looking version of essentially the same idea. And yes, Wind Waker added the sailing and Skyward Sword added the flying, but you're, you're looking at these games like there's, what, what are you doing differently? Twilight Princess, you know, when they, that there they were trying to like, oh, let's go back for our serious look. There was just a lot of different things. Not that they aren't fun games. I'm not knocking those Legend of Zelda games, but they could have built this just incredible universe that exists. And they they didn't. And, and they dropped the ball on that. And again, the games are fine. And recently, obviously, Breath of the Wild is, as of right now, is still my game of the year. So I'm very happy with Breath of the Wild. But, you know, what, I don't know, it, it was just one of those things that's it's disappointing because we could have had something incredible story-wise, you know, gameplay-wise, they've been fun. I just, story-wise, we could have had something really special. And right here, the producer flat out said as part of their development, eh, we don't even care about the story. We don't look into it, uh, that sort of thing. We just make a game and then if it fits, it fits. And like I said, something we always knew, but I guess we never heard officially on paper. And there it is. So that's that's the truth of it all.
Um, and uh, lastly, that I put this at the end of the podcast because the people who really care will still be listening and the people that don't won't be. But uh, the wedding is coming up. It is a week and a half away. And uh, I it's 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 awesome. Like I'm I'm definitely uh, getting a little bit behind on things though. So I'm you know I'm still doing the podcast. Still trying to do this. Next Tuesday there may not be an episode. So if there isn't, I apologize in advance. Um, I might if nothing else just hop on and upload something that just says hey I'm getting married. Sorry you know whatever. But I just it's it's so strange like to think about. I mean I to to where I was three years ago to where I am now. It's it's so different even in, in how much your life changes and, and I couldn't be happier. I mean, Jen's amazing. And, and hopefully once the wedding stuff's done, she'll be able to hop back on the podcast again and we can get back to our, our cadence and get back to our normal show. Uh, even though I think it's been fine, just me by myself. Uh, it's been kind of fun just rattling on prattling on. Um, but it is, it, it's such a, it's a lot of mental stress. And then with the YouTube thing, I talked about last week with the YouTube channel going down and still trying to do content for that, doing that podcast with those guys and then doing this. It's just so much going on that sometimes, you know, you need to step back, you know, again, talking about burnout, right? Um, but uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm going to do my game recommendation for the day. So this podcast is a little bit shorter. I do apologize for that. I try to get to about the hour mark. Um, we're at like 45, but I, I just wanted to... Um, you know, I, I had to shorten it a little bit because I actually got so much stuff going on even today that I've got to get done wedding wise. Um, but uh, the game I'm going to recommend today is let's see, let's look at the list here. You know, this is an off the wall one, but I think it's pretty fun. I'm going to recommend a game called Lunar Pool. So it's an NES game called Lunar Pool, and it is a it's a billiards game, so you know, shooting pool. However, it's lunar, so it's weird. So all the pool tables have weird shapes. Think of it as almost like a mix between mini golf and pool. So like you'll have a pool table that's in the shape of like an L, and there's only two pockets, one at the far end and one on your end, and you have to, you know, play pool that way. And just a really weird kind of quirky pool game, but it was very unique and different, and it was a lot of fun. I played it growing up, rented a bunch of times. I actually have a mint in box copy of my collection now, and yeah, it was pretty good. Um... So highly recommend it. Go out and play that. That's really fun. And uh, lastly, I, I know I always say this, but I so appreciate everybody who listens and uh, anybody who supports uh, me with this podcast. But also, hopefully, if you guys can, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube, that really, really mean a lot. Just look up the drop rate or if you go to drop rate, the, the website droprate.life, that'll redirect you to our YouTube channel. So droprate.life, go to our YouTube channel. And if you can subscribe, it really, really help us out a lot would really 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 appreciate it and uh of course uh if you want to follow me on twitter i tweet out some hilarious things sometimes um mostly the sadness that is aaron Rodgers getting hurt and the packer season being effectively over uh but you can follow me on twitter at drop rate greg and that's of course greg with two g's at the end um so yeah follow me on twitter i just so appreciate guys this is so much fun for me to do like even when i'm all worked out and stressed like to sit in the office and to like jam for you guys like this this uh this is always fun for me so thank you as always for listening y'all are great and i hope you have a great day